chapter four. Now you see it, now you don't. The fun begins. The premise for this chapter stems from lessons I learned about budgeting from my father when I was a teenager. As part of our family council in January of every year, my father would give each of his children a sheet of paper with a list of budget categories for the family. Food, clothing for each person, utilities, household, transportation, vacations, and so forth. Then he told us that for our family of nine people, we would have $900 per month to divide up among the categories. This was 1965, so $900 went a lot further in those days. But the illustration still works. We each tried to get all the numbers for the amounts we wanted to be able to spend for all the categories to add up to $900 or less. If we were really thorough in our budgeting efforts, Ours might be the one that was selected, with occasional modifications, for that year's plan for the family budget. Now here's my dad's genius that I discovered some time later. His income was significantly more than $900 per month. That was just the amount that he chose to allocate to household expenses. It took me a while to appreciate the impact this strategy had on our family of nine, and to figure out how to do the same thing when we were raising our six children. But here's the great secret. You can live modestly by choice, simply by limiting your level of expenses to an amount that meets your needs and wants, but not to excess. In the process, you will be less likely to spoil your children by giving them too much. If this principle is incorporated into your overall plan, it will open up many possibilities for what can be done with the crust that is left over. Let us back up and examine the pizza you just baked. Hopefully, you have developed and implemented a plan that provides for your needs and wants and your sauce all fits on your crust. Your pizza probably looks something like this. I cannot help but think that one of the reasons the Lord wants us to pay tithing is to help us live within our means. You see, in order to pay a full tithing, your expenses cannot be 100% or more of your income and still be solvent. You have to live on 90% or less, but it gets better. My dad always said, and I concur, that if you can afford to pay the Lord 10%, you can afford to pay yourself as well. So while you are spreading the sauce, hold back another 10% for savings, and now you are spending only 80% of your income to remain solvent. Are we having fun yet? Here is what your pizza looks like now. When emergencies and unforeseen events happen, and they will, your savings will be there as reserve cash to handle them. The first blessing that comes from saving a percentage of all the money you earn. That is the essence of self-reliance. Due to your habit of saving, you will not be obligated to enter the debt spiral when something goes wrong. You deal with the problem and move on. No trauma necessary. Please understand that spending is a zero-sum game. When you choose to buy something, that money is gone forever and cannot be spent on anything else. Most people fail to appreciate that when money is spent, they have not just given up the opportunity to buy something different right now, they've also given up the opportunity for everything else that they might have done with those funds in the future. For example, when my oldest son was first married, he and his wife taught elementary school in France. They lived for a year in a tiny apartment above a schoolhouse and made only a meager salary. Their goal was to pay back their savings for the money they had spent on airplane tickets to get to France, having set very specific spending quotas in order to meet that goal. One month, they were not able to put as much back into savings as they had planned. As they researched the cause, they discovered they had spent a higher than normal amount on groceries. In going back through their receipts, they discovered the culprit. Oh no, we shouldn't have bought those chips. Given their scant income, a momentary decision to splurge on a few packages of imported corn chips had prevented them from meeting their more long-term goals. Now that my son is an established attorney with a significant income, 
he and his wife still referred to those corn chips, tongue-in-cheek, to remind themselves of this principle. Another purpose for saving part of every paycheck would be to save up to buy major purchases that do not really fit in the monthly budget. By saving first and paying cash for major purchases, you will be able to maximize how much of your pizza will be available for your monthly expenses. If you do it the other way around, by buying now and paying later, those minimum monthly payments and interest, ouch, eat into your sauce so that those funds will no longer be available to buy the things you will really need on a monthly basis. What if you just decide you want something now even if you can't afford it, so you use a credit card to make the purchase? If you allow your wants to exceed your available sauce, you have given in to the consumer debt monster. Once those monthly payments start, they will likely go on for years. If you are using a credit card to make up the difference, the interest is typically 20% or more. If you only make the minimum payments, as many do, it is very possible that you will never pay off those loans. How can you mortgage your future income and sacrifice everything else you could have spent with the money that will go toward those interest payments? There is no way to know now what the future holds, nor how desperately you might need that money later on. The risks far outweigh the reward. Better strategy, save the money first for what you want to buy and pay cash. Sounds easy. While we were living in Provo, Utah in the 1990s, there was a pizza and video rental chain we often patronized called Sounds Easy Pizza and Video. Their pizza special was an 8-inch pizza and a drink for $1.99. Or if you were feeling a bit more thrifty, you could buy a 6-inch pizza and a smaller drink for $0.99. Cents. You might immediately assume that buying two 6-inch pizzas would give you significantly more for your money, but think again. If you do the math, the formula for the area of a circle, pi times radius squared, you will find out that two 6-inch or one 8-inch pizza are very close to the same size. So by adding only 2 inches to the diameter of the pizza, you can nearly double the area, like this. I have illustrated this point to show that it is possible to maintain the standard of living that you have chosen, 6-inch pizza, as your crust grows. If the amount of sauce remains the same, you will be adding more crust in the form of savings and investments, 8-inch pizza, instead of expenses. Once you have established a standard of living that you are comfortable with, have maintained your sauce where it belongs, have faithfully paid your tithes, and have regularly set aside 10% of your income as savings, you are ready for the next great key to financial self-reliance. When your pizza crust grows due to promotions or job changes, do not be like everyone else and allow your sauce to grow as your income increases. Maintain your previous standard of living as much as possible. Instead of increasing your monthly budget, keep the sauce the same size so that your pizza will look more like this. When you are starting out, the 80%, 10%, 10% ratio should be your goal. After you have approached the phase of your life where the size of your sauce becomes established, then work toward a goal of 30-40% to 40 savings. It will not happen overnight, so be patient with yourself. In fact, it could take many years as you adjust to a growing family size, inflationary increases, and setting up your standard of living to where your family is comfortable. The important thing is to understand the long-term goal and always be moving toward it. Once you are living comfortably, start saving more. To be effective, it is critical that both spouses are united in the family spending, saving, and giving plan. Instead of the 80% sauce you have grown accustomed to, it is possible to have as the plan for your household budget, 50% or less as your income grows. Let me be clear, this will not require spending less than you have been spending, nor will it mean a reduction in your standard of living. This is accomplished simply by keeping the size of the sauce the same. 
while the crust gets bigger as your earnings increase. Choose a standard of living, adjusted for inflation, that meets the needs of your family, and then stick with it. Imagine what you can do with 30% savings instead of 10%. How quickly can you save for a down payment on a house if you are socking away 20% or 30% of your pay? And after you get a mortgage, imagine that the house you will be buying can be yours in less than 15 years by allocating part of that extra savings to paying down your debt faster if you choose. This principle will work even if your sauce grows slightly with each pay increase. Just do not spend or commit to spend your entire raise when you make your annual spending plan. Over time, your crust will grow. If you manage the sauce properly, you can accomplish any savings goal as your income increases. Remember that this will not happen overnight, but keep the goal in your sights. After you have learned to save for a down payment, it will be natural to continue saving a percentage of your income for your children's education, missions, and your own retirement. These examples only tell part of the story. In the process of managing the crest, your family will learn to be thrifty in order to live on the amount of sauce that you allocate to household expenses. When my dad was teaching his children budgeting skills, I remember that my monthly personal clothing budget was $9 out of our total sauce of $900. I could decide what clothes I wanted to buy and where to buy them. If I spent too much one month, I needed to wait until my budget caught up before I could buy more clothes. Fast forward 30 years, due to inflation, we allocated about $25 per month each for our children's clothes. When they were old enough to drive and do their own shopping, my two oldest sons figured out right away that they could get a lot more for their money by shopping at secondhand thrift stores like Savers or Deseret Industries than they could by going to the mall. The mall was a four-letter word. We raised six children on a modest income and they understood that sacrifice was part of the package. But what they probably did not appreciate at the time was that much of that need for sacrifice was self-imposed in order to accomplish a greater good. Not spoiling them in the process was a bonus. N. Eldon Tanner shared the following insight in his talk, Constancy Amid Change. I would recommend you read the entire talk. He says, It has been my observation in interviewing many people through the years that far too many people do not have a workable budget and have not disciplined themselves to abide by its provisions. Many people think a budget robs them of their freedom. On the contrary, successful people have learned that a budget makes real economic freedom possible. End quote. Budgeting strategies. The concept that budgeting makes economic freedom possible is understood by those who budget and may appear counterintuitive to those who do not. Suffice it to say that when you have a plan in place and you are spending within that plan, there is no guilt associated with your purchases. Instead, there is a conscientiousness that you are operating within the framework established. That delightful and satisfying knowledge is where the feelings of freedom come from. A certainty that you are in control of your money and are not being controlled by your circumstances. Can you appreciate how good that feels? I have tried to use percentages as much as possible throughout these descriptions because actual amounts are less applicable to a wide range of circumstances. Critical mass is achieved at an income level sufficient to provide one's basic needs and reasonable wants. You do not have to earn a lot of money to start a budget. You can start today, right where you are. By keeping an eye on your goal and exercising a little bit of discipline, you can work wonders. You will be in charge of your circumstances instead of the other way around. To do that, you will have to have a workable budget. Record your expenses, track your income, and monitor your progress regularly. It is really no different than what businesses do. They have revenue, expenses, and profit. 
your profit on your family business is the same thing, total revenue minus expenses, or a measurable amount of crest that is not covered with sauce. The scope of this book does not allow me to explain in detail every step necessary for you to create your financial plan and track your progress. Your methods and style will be unique to you. Budgeting is not a one-size-fits-all topic. You will find a variety of easy-to-use software tools available online that will provide instant reporting on your current state of affairs. If you do not use a computer, you can have a workable plan the old-fashioned way, paper and pencil. I did that for years while I was waiting for computers and software to catch up. Now I use Quicken for my personal budget and QuickBooks for my businesses. There are many other software packages available that may be more to your liking. Most will allow you to download trial versions so you can try before you buy. Find one that matches your style and get started. One of the biggest stumbling blocks to budgeting is where do I start? The answer is simple really. You start from wherever you are and build slowly. The three steps necessary for any successful budget are planning, tracking, and analysis. These steps are circular so you can start anywhere. If you have no idea how much you spend for the things you currently buy, then the first step before you can even make a meaningful plan would be to keep track for a full month to see where your money is going. Armed with this information, you will then be able to analyze your expenses and develop a plan for the following month. Once you have a plan in place, continue to track expenses. But this time, at the end of the month, you will analyze actual expenses versus the plan you made. Create columns to show deviations from the plan in dollars and percentages. Your plan for the next month will be perhaps a little more finely tuned due to your having two months of recorded expense history. Continue to adjust your plan until your expenses fit properly into the percentage of your income that you have allocated to household expenses. When you are comfortable with your plan, you can begin to adjust your spending patterns to fit the plan instead of the other way around. Every month, you should spend some time analyzing your cumulative data together as a couple. Decide what changes could be made in spending patterns to more accurately reflect your overall goals. It is a little bit of work to set up a budget initially, but it will pay off handsomely in the end. It is fun to look at your actual results at the end of the month and see how well you did. After a while, living within your budget will become so second nature to you that you will not have to give it a lot of thought. There is one trick that I can share with you that will help you keep your budget in the black instead of bleeding red ink. As you develop your plan, you will soon discover that while some expenses come up every month, like food, rent, transportation, entertainment, etc., there are others that come up only periodically, like insurance premiums, Christmas, property taxes, vacations, gifts, and the like. A simple way to handle these periodic expenses as you develop your plan is to create a monthly budget for the regular expenses and an annual budget for the periodic items. Suppose your periodic items add up to $6,000 for the year. You would need to add $500, which is $6,000 divided by 12, to your monthly budget for the total of these infrequent expenses. So if your monthly items totaled $1,500, then you would need to be able to allocate $2,000 per month for your total expenses. You can track monthly and annual budgets separately in most software, but by using this technique, it effectively spreads out the occasional or periodic expenses over the whole year so there will be no budget-busting surprises. You will always have your savings as a backup plan for things you did not budget for and other contingencies. Please keep in mind that the numbers I am using here are merely to illustrate the point. The principles work on any income. 
By using these principles, you can still accomplish your goals, even though the size of your pizza and the percent that you devote to sauce may be different than your neighbor. Remember that how much money you have is not as important as how you manage what you have. For those who are not particularly adept at entering data into a computer program, there is an online service that is free, my favorite four-letter word, and will attempt to categorize all your non-cash expenditures for you. It will combine all your online accounts into one place and show you graphically where you stand. You may even recognize some of their pizza-shaped graphs. You can customize categories and have instant access to your financial picture wherever the internet is available, including on mobile devices. You will be able to see graphically how much is left to spend in all your categories at any time during the month. It has been called the best budgeting site by Kiplinger Magazine. You can learn more at http colon forward slash forward slash www.mint.com. I use a more old-fashioned approach for my budget, but you may benefit by using this newer technology. Before concluding this section on budgeting, do you remember the couple in Chapter 3, The Sauce? that just could not wait to get into their first house and committed half of their pizza crust to housing costs? I am happy to report that while initially their sauce spilled right off the edge, they have learned to become thorough in their approach to budgeting. With the help of a slightly larger crust and sound budgeting principles, they are headed toward putting their financial house in order. Everyone has to start wherever they are and apply principles that work until they have achieved the proper balance. Even if you have already made serious mistakes, the important thing is to start now. The American dream. So you want to buy a house, right? Fine. Let's see if you are ready. You have been disciplined in your approach to monthly expenses for several years. After starting in a basement apartment, then graduating to a duplex, you have rented a small house as your family has grown. In the process, you have been able to keep your monthly expenses in line by keeping your sauce down to well under 80% of the size of your crest. You have advanced in your career and you are ready to stay put for three to five years minimum. While renting, you have saved a healthy down payment, 20%. Now you are finally ready to buy a house. How much more will you appreciate your home purchase after these sacrifices? It is finally time to have a house of your own and realize the great American dream of home ownership. You have saved a down payment of 20% of the purchase price, so you will need to borrow the balance of the money from the bank. That is okay if you have made the preparations and are looking forward to actually owning your home instead of just renting it from the bank for 30 plus years. We will cover the topic of mortgages in depth in chapter 6, Why We Are Slaves, Debt. Before exploring that topic though, the next chapter will give you an important key to understanding why the pizza principle works.